This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Today we have episode 316 entitled, John's Use of Deuteronomy 1818b. So last week we looked at Deuteronomy 1818 part A, and this week we'll look at the second half of that passage. As you will surmise, we are continuing to explore the various ways in which the Gospel of John illustrates the person of Jesus as the prophet like Moses from Deuteronomy 18, specifically verses 15 through 22. And as I've alluded to, this week's episode will closely examine the second half of Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. Now the passage as a whole reads, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. End quote. It is to this final phrase, he will speak to them all that I command him, that we will focus our attention in this week's episode. So, in what ways does the Gospel of John paint the Johannine Jesus as the empowered and authorized agent who speaks forth all the words of Yahweh? How does this Christological portrayal of Jesus help differentiate the agent from the only true God within the fourth gospel? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is Jesus' words are the Father's words. And this is clear because Deuteronomy 18, 18b has Yahweh saying that he, the prophet, shall speak to them all that I command him. So the words of the prophet are actually the words of Yahweh that Yahweh is speaking through this particular prophet. So we can see this illustration and this portrayal of Jesus beginning in John chapter 5, verse 19, where it says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. That's John 5, verse 19. And so we can see with the imperfect tense of the verb, this is something that Jesus was constantly saying. He was repeatedly saying this over and over to them. He was saying to the Jews in response to the suggestion that Jesus was claiming some sort of prerogatives that did not belong to him naturally, Jesus was saying, the Son can do nothing of himself. The Son can do nothing of himself. The Son can do nothing of himself. This is, of course, not the sort of thing that the second person of the Trinity, if that's who Jesus actually was, would be saying. The second person of the Trinity can do everything that he wants because he is God. But Jesus is saying, the Son 
cannot do anything of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. The Son is looking to the Father and being an obedient and faithful Son, not an illegitimate Son or a rebellious Son. And then Jesus says, whatever the Father does, in like manner, the Son is going to do these things. So the Son is following the activity of the Father. He sees the Father giving life and doing miracles on the Sabbath, and so Jesus is going to do the same. And so it's clear here that the Son sees the Father doing something, and he is going to follow in suit because he's an obedient Son, making him, of course, an obedient agent. In chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says that no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down, I lay my life down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This commandment I received from my Father. That's John 10, verse 18. So Jesus says that he has the authority to take his life up, and of course he has the authority to lay it down. Does Jesus have this because he's God himself? No. Jesus clearly indicates here that he possesses this commandment from the Father, not just the Father, from Jesus' Father. This commandment I received from my Father. And of course, the Father here is giving Jesus a commandment to say. And that lines up with what we see in the second half of Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. A little bit later in that same chapter, starting in verse 28, Jesus indicates that he has the ability to impart life. He says in John 10, 28, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. That's John 10, verses 28 through 29. So, no one can snatch what the Father has given to Jesus out of the Father's hand, and Jesus says that no one can snatch these people out of his hand. And of course, Jesus indicates that this oneness of purpose is something that he can maintain because this is what the Father has given to him. And what the Father has given to Jesus is greater than all. That's what he says in verse 29. So Jesus, again, demonstrates that he is an obedient agent. He is someone who is following in the footsteps of the Father as an obedient and loyal son. But he also is someone who has been highly empowered by the Father. Jesus does not innately possess this authority or the ability to give life. He doesn't possess these people, the sheep, in the context of John chapter 10. He doesn't possess these things innately due to his person. He has them, as he freely admits, because the Father has given those things to Jesus. The Father has empowered and authorized Jesus as his obedient agent, as the faithful son. A few verses later, in verse 38 of John 10, Jesus says, If I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, 
and I in the Father. There's this mutual indwelling, but clearly God is working in Jesus because God has put his own words into the mouth of this particular prophet. And so the words of Jesus are not actually his words. They are the Father's words. And also we can see that the works, the good deeds of Jesus are not actually his. They actually belong to the Father. That's John 10, verse 38. At the end of chapter 12, Jesus says, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. That's John 12, verses 49 through 50. Again, Jesus is openly declaring that his words don't belong to him. They are the Father's words. Jesus speaks just as the Father has commanded him, and the Father has given Jesus a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. This is exactly what we read in the second half of Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, to where the prophet, in whom Yahweh has placed his own words, is going to speak to the people what Yahweh has commanded. And that is the portrayal that the Gospel John makes of Jesus. A little bit later, in chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus says, So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. That's John 14, verse 31. So, notice, Jesus is functioning as an obedient son, as an obedient agent, but in doing so, he does what the Father commanded him. Notice the Father has told and has spoken to Jesus something to do, and Jesus is obediently working through the Father's words. That is, the words of Yahweh are working through Jesus, the obedient Son. The next chapter, in chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus tells his disciples, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Chapter 15, verse 10. So Jesus has kept and obeyed the Father's commandments, the things that the Father has said, the things that the Father has spoken. And so Jesus has those words in his own being, and he keeps and he maintains those. And so he, of course, tells the disciples kind of the next tier after God and Jesus. You have God and then Jesus, and then you have Jesus and the disciples. It's kind of three tiers on the hierarchy. Jesus says, if the disciples keep Jesus' commandments, they will abide in his love, just as Jesus has functioning as the prophet from Deuteronomy 18 has kept and maintained what the Father has said, the Father's spoken commandments. And in chapter 17, verse 21, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays and he says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Chapter 17, verse 21. So, the Father is in Jesus in the sense that the Father's commands and his words are actually in Jesus. He is the one who has been sent by God, meaning he is the agent. He is the spokesperson. He is the prophet. And so 
the Father being in Jesus, of course, is indicative, at least in part, with the Father's words and commands that Jesus has been clearly stating for the previous 12 chapters. So it's pretty clear that the words and the commands and the statements, the utterances that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, they are the words that he has received from God, from the only true God, from Jesus' Father. And that is in fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, 18, part B. This moves us to our second point, point number two. Jesus functions as the agent of the true God. So in a slightly different nuance here, we can see that as the spokesperson of Yahweh's own words, Jesus, the human son, functions as the authorized and highly empowered agent, the shaliach of God. And a great passage for this is John 5, verse 43, where Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. That's John 5, verse 43. So Jesus indicating he's not coming on his own authority. He's coming in the name of his Father. He has the Father's authority and privileges and prerogatives backing him up. And this makes Jesus effectively the Father's agent. And notice again that the relationship between Jesus and the Father is that the Father is Jesus' Father. And as I never tire of mentioning, all fathers are older than their sons in the ancient world. The son, by definition, is someone who is subordinate, lesser than, and younger than his father. In chapter 12, verse 13, we can see that the crowds also recognize that Jesus comes in the name of God. So in chapter 12, verse 13, it says, They took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him. They went out to meet Jesus, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That's John 12, verse 13. So notice, the King of Israel, the human Israelite king, the promised messianic Christ, this royal figure, is someone who comes in the name of the Lord, just as Jesus had mentioned that he comes in the name of his Father. This is something that he acknowledges. This is something that the crowds acknowledge. They recognize that the Israelite king, the Jewish Messiah, is not Yahweh himself. He is Yahweh's king. He is the anointed one. Yahweh, of course, is the one who anoints, and the Christ is the one who is the one who is anointed. But that king represents God to the point to where the basic crowds, the normal Jews who are present, can openly confess and shout that the king of Israel is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The king of Israel is the agent of God, and God in the Gospel of John is the Father alone. In chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus is actually praying, and we actually get some rare words from God in the Gospel of John. So in John 12, verse 28, Jesus prays and he says, Father, 
glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. That's John 12, verse 28. So the Father is glorifying the name in which Jesus comes. Remember, Jesus comes in the name of the Father. And earlier in that chapter, the people, the Jews, declare correctly, because they're saying the thing that Jesus has already said, so they're not misunderstood in any manner. They declare that the King of Israel, that Jesus comes in the name of the Lord. And so the Father is glorifying that particular name, and God actually speaks in response to this prayer. The Father speaks and says, I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So Jesus comes in the name of the Father, and the Father vocally states from heaven that this name is something that he has brought about in glory, and that he will glorify it again. And back in chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays in regard to the name of God and shows how it relates to the disciples. So in chapter 17, starting in verse 11, he prays and says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but so that the scripture would be fulfilled. That's John 17, verses 11 through 12. And so we can see here again the Father's name. Remember, Jesus comes in the Father's name. The King of Israel comes in the name of God. And so now we can see Jesus saying that the Father has given this name to Jesus, this authority, this privilege, these prerogatives that Jesus possesses as God's agent. And Jesus has this. And now he wants that same authority to keep his disciples. He prays that the Father would keep them in your name, this name that God has given to Jesus in order that they can be united in purpose, that they can be one. And Jesus, of course, indicates that during his ministry, he was keeping the disciples in God's name. Again, this name that Jesus acknowledges, the name that God has given to him. This, again, makes Jesus God's agent. He comes in the Father's name. He is the king that comes in the name of God. And he openly acknowledges multiple times here that God has shared that name with Jesus. There's no doubt that Jesus is the agent of the only true God in the Gospel of John. And he does so precisely because he is that prophet from Deuteronomy 18 in whom Yahweh has put his own authoritative words. That makes Jesus the agent who is the climactic spokesperson for the only true God. And this makes Jesus a very important person, leading to our third point. Point number three, actions can be taken in the name of the Son because he is 
God's prophetic agent. And so we can see that because Jesus is the agent of God, and because Jesus comes in the name and the authority of his Father, that Jesus himself possesses a lot of authority. And we see several references in the Gospel of John to the name, not just of the Father, but the name of the Son. And Jesus, notice again, in this hierarchy of Father being at the top tier, and the Son being at the second tier, and the disciples being at the third tier, as the Father has shared that authority with the Son, now the Son shares that authority with his disciples, and they can do things in the name of Jesus. And they can do this precisely because he is God's agent, the agent in whom God has set his seal, and that God has shared his privileges and prerogatives, and of course, based on Deuteronomy 18, the prophet the agent in whom Yahweh has put his own words and commands. So we can see several examples of this. In chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. Notice, now the disciples are doing things in the name of Jesus. And they're able to do this because Jesus is that authorized agent of God. And Jesus mentions it twice. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Later in that chapter, in 14, verse 26, Jesus describes the Spirit. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, which the Father will send in my name, it will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That's John 14, verse 26. So notice the Father is sending the Spirit in Jesus' name under the authority that Jesus possesses. In chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. That's John 15, verse 16. Again, the disciples are asking the Father for things in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is saying that they are going to be able to do this because Jesus has chosen them, and he has appointed they would go and bear fruit as his representatives, as his agents, just as Jesus is the agent of the Father. And because they do this, they're able to invoke the name and the authority of Jesus. In chapter 15, verse 20, a few verses later, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. That's chapter 15, verses 20 through 21. So, the people who don't know the one who sent Jesus, namely the Father, if they don't know the Father, the only true God, who has sent Jesus as his agent, then they're not going to recognize 
the authority that Jesus possesses. They're not going to recognize the name that he possesses. But Jesus says, all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they don't recognize that Jesus is that sent agent of the only true God. And of course, we can't mention this without looking at the purpose statement of the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 31, which is a very important verse for this entire book, because it not only indicates that the book was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, it also indicates that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's John 20, verse 31. By believing that Jesus is that Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish King, the Son of God, you may have life. By the way, that's in the present tense. You may have life in the present, but we are able to have this in Jesus' name. And thereby, we can invoke the name of Jesus because he is God's anointed king, because he is God's son, because he's the king of Israel, because he is God's messianic agent. So in sum, the Gospel of John goes to great lengths to illustrate the person of Jesus as the promised prophet like Moses from Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 22. And in doing so, Jesus is repeatedly portrayed as the one in whom the only true God has placed his words and commands. And Jesus functions as God's messianic prophet by declaring all that God told him to say. We observe that the words of Jesus do not belong to him innately. Rather, they belong to his Father who gave those commands to Jesus. We also noted how Jesus comes in his Father's name, indicating that Jesus possesses the authority that the Father confers upon his Son, the authorized agent. And lastly, we demonstrated how the very name of Jesus, the agent, functions as something that possesses authority so that people, the disciples of Jesus, can ask for things in Jesus' name. They can do things in his name, and they can come to possess life in his name. All these points further highlight Jesus as God's human agent in the Gospel of John. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please join us next week as we continue to explore Deuteronomy chapter 18 and the ways in which it characterizes the portrayal of the Johannine Jesus in the fourth gospel. We'll look at Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 19 where those who do not heed Yahweh's words which the prophet will speak in his name, will be held accountable. And coincidentally, the Gospel of John carries forth this caution as it depicts Jesus as the prophet like Moses from Deuteronomy 18, whom the readers of the Gospel of John must listen to and obey 
under the threat of judgment. Please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the non-negotiable truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can subscribe and support us absolutely for free on YouTube or iTunes. You can support us by giving us an honest review on iTunes and, of course, by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to offer a financial donation, you could do it one of two ways. You can donate on PayPal based on the link to PayPal that is associated with this episode. And you can also subscribe with a membership on the YouTube channel. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.